If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? We definitely need to begin with confession, Holy One. News of the FBI raid on the property of a certain former president had us snatching scripture right out of context real quick and gleefully yelling, your sin will find you out. (laughs) You are already aware that we added that last part. The story does not tell us that Moses was delighted when he told the Gadites and Reubenites that their sin would find them out. We confess that we did not feel contrite for a good long while after we said it either. Actually, we are still not feeling all that remorseful. We're too busy sharing memes and clever quips on the socials to engage in any spiritual reflection on what our response says about us, not taken out of context, is the verse that warns us, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Apparently, ours are full of anger, bitterness, and revenge. Then there is the matter of spitting scripture at one another when we know that's not what it's for to begin with. Besides, there are so many other verses that you'd rather us have on the tip of our tongue. Be angry and do not sin, which reminds us that righteous indignation does not involve gloating. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Given our confession, this is admittedly an unbearably heavy lift right now. So perhaps we'll start by trying to be deserving of the promise that the Lord detests lying lips, but delights in people who are trustworthy. Our first response isn't always our best response, Holy One. 
be with us as we try to do better about doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly, especially that last one, before we press send, post, or share. Trying to be coachable, we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 31. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before him he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven as, and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, God has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future of Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that his child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Uh, it's been a minute since I've delivered a sermon during worship. Six weeks, if you're counting. I hope you enjoyed the Distinguished Pulpit series. It is one of the ways we embody our commitment to theological humility, community building, and diversity. I know, I know you enjoyed Men's Choir Sunday. I am always surprised at how quickly the summer goes. The six-week pause in preaching gives me a chance to do much of the work that falls under the title Chief Administrative Officer and the responsibilities that are tied with that to senior minister, including staff reviews and checklists and paperwork. It allows me to tend to new ministries, like how our congregation plans to stand in the gap for widows. This time also allows me to say yes to important partnerships and work that require extra planning and preparing, like our partnership with the UCC's Global Ministries to host Lydia Weber, a 25-year-old theology student from Germany, and you'll be able to read more about her and her time with us in the looking ahead email that goes out tomorrow. All told, the preaching pause creates enough space for me to go up into the metaphorical balcony to get a 10,000 foot view of the work and ministry of our congregation, noting where we need to lean in and what otherwise needs our attention. It is a busy and fruitful time in a very different way than the rest of the year, but I am always glad to return to what Fred Craddock called the craft of preaching. So here we go. Phrases, writes author Marilyn McIntyre, have lives of their own. Neither sentences nor single words, they are little compositions that suggest and evoke and invite. They don't, like the sentence, declare or ask or command. They are often what we remember. Four score and seven years ago, recalls a whole era, triggers a constellation of feelings, and evokes an image of Lincoln. Inherit the earth, carries the weight of promise, the rhythm of the Beatitudes, and a vision of Jesus preaching on a hillside. In the classic film, A Bridge Too Far, one soldier, rowing for his life away from an impending explosion, repeats again and again a fragment of the only prayer he remembers, Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, full of grace. And somehow we believe that such a prayer at such a time 
suffices. I have known people far into old age and dementia who can be awakened with a little shock of recognition by a familiar phrase. One aged English teacher applauded when she heard a line from one of Keats' poems, and one of her neighbors, largely incoherent, recited the entire 100th Psalm when she heard me begin to read, make a joyful noise. These phrases, they stop us, and like a hand raised by an eager student who has a story to share with the entire class, begs us to call on them. Phrases are powerful instruments of awakening and recollection for all of us. And learning to notice what we notice as we move slowly from words to meaning, pausing where we sense a slight beckoning, allowing associations to emerge around the phrase that stopped us, is an act of faith that the Spirit will meet us there. There is, we may assume, a gift to be received wherever we are stopped and summoned. And this passage has one of those phrases, by faith, by faith, repeats it over and over again, no fewer than 19 times in the passage we read. But I confess to you, I had not actually noticed how many times the phrase was used before looking at the text specifically for the sermon to be given on the 14th day of August, 2022. The repetition had not caused me pause up until this last week. I have preached this pericope before and have always been distracted by all of the dude bros in the text. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. This passage is commonly referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And it goes on, what we didn't read, to include even more dude bros. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. I could not notice the phrase, by faith, probably because I am so irritated by the author being so careful to remind everyone that Rahab was a prostitute. One of the few women mentioned in the text, apparently, at least to this author, sex work is worse than murder, nearly sacrificing one's own child as a burnt offering, and actually sacrificing one, one's own child as a burnt offering, for that's what could have been added as an aside to at least three of the men in the lineup. There is also some language that's troublesome until it's unpacked and put into its socio-historical context. I have, as is now obvious, some significant constructive criticism on how this particular passage might be improved. The problem is that the author of Hebrews has yet to ask me for my feedback. But it'll keep. It'll keep in part because this time I could not help but notice, could not help but take pause at the repetitive phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. I'm certain it had something to do with the conversations I have had with many of you 
over these last six weeks, conversations about how we feel like we're running on fumes and how we have a sneaking suspicion that faith might help. We're just not exactly sure what that looks like. Many of us were taught that faith is a matter of believing the right things. Faith requires intellectual assent or to accept Jesus into one's heart, to be born again, to affirm a set of claims about who Jesus was and is. Various dictionaries define faith as strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion, belief that is not based on proof or material evidence, and the body of dogma of a religion. Most people I know do not find any of those definitions particularly helpful or inspirational. Creeds and doctrine are not, and perhaps have never been, particularly helpful in facing personal and political trouble. At this point, they seem to be just another thing for us to argue about, and the vast majority of us simply aren't interested in more arguing. We are argued out. There is so much to deal with already. We have no idea where we are in the pandemic, and we are constantly reevaluating when we are supposed to wear masks and who can get boosters. Three of the nine funerals this summer were for beloveds who died when we couldn't gather in large crowds to mourn together. And for something that is invisible, delayed grief is very, very heavy. So many of us are managing a variety of situations, chronic illness and acute health issues, not to mention mental health. And there isn't enough affordable housing. And we're not exactly sure what the economy is doing. And the kids are heading back to school. And there are multiple elections coming up, along with messaging ads and rhetoric that make our toes curl and keep us up at night. And, and, and. We are looking for something to which we can hold fast, something that will both keep hope afloat and anchor us in these high winds. Is that thing faith? Well, not if faith is defined as a body of dogma. The good news is that we do not learn that definition of faith from the text. The text does not say that faith is the belief that we must affirm the doctrine of original sin, the virgin birth, or seven-day creationism. From the text, we gather that faith is the willingness to set out for new places, anticipate new arrivals, wait for big changes, and search for new homelands. Faith apparently, wanders a lot. Perhaps most significant to us right now is that based on the people and the stories named in this text, faith contends with holy restlessness, the knowing that things are not quite right, so we will choose curiosity and courage to face the challenges of our time. When the book of Hebrews names faith as the assurance of things hoped for, it is describing what faith has 
It already possesses in the present what God has promised for the future. This possession is partly an inward reality and partly an outward force. Inwardly, people of faith have a confidence today, here and now, when all hell is breaking loose around us, that the promises of God for peace, justice, mercy, and salvation can be trusted. But faith, as the assurance of things hoped for, is not just an inward confidence. It is also an outward actuality. It is more than the inner confidence that the powers of the world that press down and destroy human life will eventually yield and that the promises of God will be fulfilled someday. It is the reality of those promises moving forward, even if it is an inch at a time. Christians then have faith that is inward assurance, but they also embody faith as an outward manifestation. When we look at the text, the faith of those listed is defined by action verbs, offered, built, stayed, left, kept, received, passed through. When we connect this inwardness and outwardness of faith, this is what we know. Faith, as an inward reality, moves hearts. Faith, as an outward reality, moves mountains. Faith, as an inward reality, sings, we shall overcome. Faith, as an outward reality, marches for Black Lives Matter and is actively anti-racist. Faith, as an inward reality, trusts God's promise that mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Faith, as an outward reality, serves tenderly those who weep and works to ease the pain of those who are wounded. Faith, as an inward reality, hopes for a more just and loving world. Faith, as an outward reality, registers people to vote, volunteers for candidates with shared values, and follows up post-election to hold them accountable. Faith as an inward reality believes that one day all things will be made right. Faith as an outward reality apologizes for the wrongs we commit and chooses forgiveness instead of bitterness. Faith as an inward reality prays for stronger community Faith, as an outward reality, invites someone to share a meal together after worship, participates in small groups, and shows up at book study. Faith, as an inward reality, trusts that God is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Faith, as an outward reality, takes their antidepressant, keeps the appointment with their therapist, and tells someone that they need help. Faith as an inward reality recites, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Faith as an outward reality offers free mom hugs to queer kids who need family, and aids and abets those who need reproductive health care and spends their money at minority-owned businesses, and serves at Joe's Addiction, and delivers meals to the Homeless Alliance, and tutors at WizKids, and mails a handwritten note, and picks up the phone to check in, and, and, 
and. If you are someone who thinks they are having a crisis of faith, perhaps what you are actually experiencing is an opportunity, a chance, a possibility. Perhaps what you are experiencing is holy restlessness. And our sacred stories tell us what can happen when we contend with that holy restlessness. To adapt a line from Mary Oliver, let us ask ourselves, what is it that we plan to do with our one wild and precious faith? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.